Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis. Uh, we'll be joined by Corbin Ford in just a minute. We, this is our uh, free talk, kind of 30-minute episodes, not planned. We don't have any stats prepared. We don't have any outlines of notes or anything like that. We just have some topics we want to talk about, and um, that's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes. Before we get started, um, I want to mention that we have kind of signed up with a kind of a, an affiliate kind of program with T Public, uh, a store that has a bunch of designs from really good designers. It's MBA designs primarily that uh, most of you are interested in, obviously, but they also have other designs for other things. Um, and you can buy shirts. You can turn those designs into computer stickers, uh, phone cases, or whatever. But specifically, if you Use the link that I've been tweeting out and will be and the link that will be included in all of our podcast episode descriptions. If you specifically click on that link and buy designs from our 94 Feet Report store on T Public, you'll help out um, the show and uh, the site, the website, 94feetreport.com as well. So be sure to, um, if you want to buy awesome NBA merch, be sure to use that link because that'll help out the 94 Feet Report team, uh, which would be greatly appreciated. So uh, let's get Corbin on. Corbin, how are you doing on this uh, Thursday night? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Kind of, kind of down seeing this Cavs deflating loss to the Rockets and just the horrible rebounding. But you know, we make it work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so we are recording this. It's, it's 11 o'clock Eastern time on Thursday, November 9th, and the, and the Cavaliers and Rockets just played. Rockets won 117 to 113. Some notable performances, obviously. LeBron James, 33 points, seven assists. He did have nine turnovers, and he did play 40 minutes, which is which is quite a lot. Um, they got a really good game from Jeff Green, 27 points, five rebounds, and three steals. Um, he shot 11 of 15 from the floor, which you don't expect from Jeff Green every night. And then for the Rockets, they got James Harden, 35 points, 13 assists, 11 rebounds, 5 steals. Um, Clint Capella was huge in that fourth quarter. He ended up with 19 points, 13 rebounds, and 4 blocks, um, including 6 offensive rebounds by Capella. Uh, P.J. Tucker had 6 offensive rebounds as well. And that's what Corbin, that's what you were just saying, that, that, that the rebounding issues in the fourth quarter for the Cavs, I mean... There was a possession. There were two possessions where I think the Rockets got three offensive rebounds and therefore could could stretch it out. Especially one possession in the final minute that allowed the Rockets to kill an extra you know fifteen to twenty seconds of the shot clock. Um, so this you know the Cavs moved to five and seven. The Rockets moved to nine and three. This is kind of an interesting game for both teams. I mean, a lot of players in this game played a lot. Harden forty three minutes. Eric Gordon forty minutes. Trevor Ariza forty three minutes. I mentioned LeBron playing forty minutes, which is not what you want. Jeff Green played thirty eight minutes. Um, you know, obviously the Rockets were shorthanded, but Bob Mute was out and Chris Paul was out. Um, and for the Cavs, I mean, you know, obviously they're missing Isaiah Thomas and obviously Tristan Thompson was could have been crucial in this game to prevent all those oh, rebounds, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. I mean, this is one of the this is one of the biggest games since Thompson went down where you really noticed that he was not on the floor. I mean, the Rockets could grab almost any rebound they wanted in that fourth quarter, which allowed them to get the win. So what, what, what were your, some of your thoughts on this game and maybe some of your larger thoughts on, you know, the Cavs or the Rockets? I, I was stunned just, first of all, Jeff Green came out of nowhere for that performance, and that's a, so Jeff Green. I mean, he, he literally kept the Cavs alive in the second quarter, particularly clawing back, helping them get that lead. Um, I was surprised. It, Dwayne Wade played 20 minutes. It didn't seem like he played all that much to me. Probably because Shumper was out there a lot more. But I figured, especially down the stretch, that Dwayne Wade would at least be crucial as a secondary playmaker. Especially since Jared Smith wasn't all that hot from 
three. I think he was three for eight. Aside from that, Clint Capella was really the star of the show. And that's funny when you're talking, when you're on the same team that has a guy that had a triple-double with 35 points. But James Harden, with those 42 minutes, you could really see that he tired down the stretch. And I think, you know, he lost some of the lift off his jump shot on a couple of steps backs. He did an isolation on J.R. Smith. There was a couple of threes that were short, a couple of shots that were flat. But Clint Capella was really all over the place, just keeping possessions alive, knocking down, you know, not all his foul shots, but key foul shots when he when he got them, just snatching up rebounds. He really kept the Cavs from getting any closer and was a big reason why that rebounding event was so huge. P.J. Tucker as well, that, that, that was a phenomenal performance, almost Dennis Rodman-like from him. But that's what I saw. The Cavs' effort didn't look bad to me. There was still way too many closeouts where – they, where they should have closed out but didn't, and the Rockets just didn't make their threes. But especially in the second quarter and moving up, they were they were, they were were pretty active on defense, and that was encouraging to see on that end, especially with a team like the Rockets that just bomb away with anybody. Yeah, and um, I should, before I move on to that point about the, the defense and the effort, um, the Rockets had 45 rebounds, the Cavs had 26, so you can see – where the Yikes. issues were, the, the Rockets had 17 offensive rebounds, which is, I mean, you're going to lose games when you give up 17 offensive rebounds. That's just how it is. People, the other team can extend the possessions, tire your defense out, probably create a good shot, especially an offense like the Rockets. And, um, you know, going back to the effort, and I was watching this game, I watched the entire game, and especially in that first quarter, LeBron, you know, was better later in the game, but that first quarter, there were three, almost three straight possessions where LeBron just lost Trevor Ariza on the perimeter, and really Ariza was just standing in the corner, and, and LeBron's defense really frustrated me because there was an instance, I think it was in the fourth quarter, where Harden was driving in transition, it was, a, it was basically like a one-on-one, really, with LeBron, and LeBron did kind of like an Olay defense, like he just kind of stopped yeah. playing defense, and actually Harden actually missed the layup. Now, I don't know if LeBron's non-defense kind of bothered Harden, or maybe he just, you know, missed the layup, which is very rare, but, you know, if Harden, uh, had, if Harden had made that layup, I mean, that w- that's basically, LeBron basically just had James Harden defense tonight, and, and we've been seeing a lot of really bad uh, focus from LeBron on the defensive end so far this season, a lot worse defensively than you would expect from him. And I know he has a big offensive load, and of course he takes the regular season pretty lightly, but it's really concerning because the team overall is, is, is just horrendous, I mean, defensively. I mean, they have the 30th-ranked defense in the league, um, according to defensive rating. So you really... It's not that I expect LeBron to be, you know, engaged defensively all the time. Of course, even, you know, guys like James Harden, you know, don't put defensive effort in like 70% of the time. But LeBron mm-hmm. doing that and then kind of getting on his guys for not being good defensively, it just leads to more problems, I feel like, for the Cavs in the long run. I definitely agree. I, I actually should have singled out LeBron when I was talking about the Cavs' effort because there was plenty of plays where he, he just seemed out of it. And his, his basketball intellect stood out because you could tell, okay, hey, he knew where to be, and there was plays where he would go on the side and kind of read whatever they were trying to run, and then just kind of stop and let Trevor Reza drift to the corner or let a drag screen get P.J. Tucker up top on the wing, different things like that. So that that was something that was concerning. I will say that I have a theory as to why James Harden missed that shot. I think he saw LeBron's defense as a reflection of his own, and it shook him, you know, mm-hmm. just to the core. <laughs> Obviously, I'm messing around there, but – that that was something that that was of note, and honestly, I don't know. I wonder if his injury, and I'm not trying to be a LeBron Stan or anything, but you know, he did injure his ankle again, re-aggravated early in the first quarter, and he hasn't really been talking about it too much, but it's obviously something that he's still coming back from. 
I I wonder if he's using almost like he takes possessions off on the defensive end if he's also doing that to kind of protect his ankle like he's already moving so much offensively driving and attacking everything that maybe he's laxing although to be honest when I watch whenever LeBron plays Trevor Reza just in general or any of the Rockets small forwards he really doesn't give them that much respect his defense has been horrible this year just in general but I've kind of noticed that you know he, he's more willing to let them just bomb away which I mean, sometimes comes to bite them back yeah I mean his defensive effort was poor he had that ankle injury but then almost like a couple minutes first of all he stayed in the game after that injury they went to timeout and he stayed sure. in the game and, and then he, he had some he had like four or five just monster dunks throughout this game where he got some good lift off that angle so True. I guess I mean like he I I've, I've, I do feel like LeBron is a player who kind of like I don't want to say over exaggerates an injury but will make you pay attention to how injured he is to kind of you know give him a little break like hey, I'm a little bit injured like hey oh I took this defensive possession off like here you go but I'm gonna dunk on you on the other end because I'm angry that Trevor Reese is getting in my face all the time or something like that but there are uh-huh. concerning things for the Cavs. I mean, their rebounding was really bad tonight. They're it just they go through stretches where they just don't look like a good team, which is really weird to say about a LeBron James team. But in that first quarter, early second, they just didn't look like a good basketball team on the floor. And LeBron wasn't on the floor for that kind of stretch. But I mean, obviously, when they get Isaiah Thomas back, they should probably have one of Thomas or LeBron on the floor at all times, which will help with their kind of offensive creation. But I still think that there are long term concerns especially on the defensive end for this Cavs team I think they'll be okay and fine defensively especially when Thomas comes back but I think this defense is beyond repair and especially when you try and put this defense up against the Warriors I mean I, I don't want to watch Dwayne Wade and, and Jeff Green and Kyle Korver and all these guys I don't want to watch them try and guard the Warriors in the finals I, I mean it, it just won't be pretty um no no yeah. will they even try is the question will they even try that's I mean I mean the thing is like I still think the Cavs will make the finals. I, I, even with each loss and each kind of poor defensive performance, I do have more doubts about it. But I just look at the East, and I know the Celtics are on a roll, and um, we can talk about them more, and probably we'll talk about them more in uh, on Sunday or Monday episode because um, that's more in depth. But I still look at the East, and I say, you know, I have doubts about every team, and obviously I have doubts about the Cavs, but they still have LeBron James, so I think I'd probably pick them to make the finals, um, which is the luxury of having LeBron James on your team. But... Uh, for the Rockets, I mean, this was an interesting game because they had come off three blowouts, but they were, I mean, against the Knicks and Hawks, obviously you kind of expect to blow them out. They had Harden's incredible 56-point um, game against the Jazz, and they blew them out. And then they had, they, they played the Jazz on Sunday, and now it's Thursday. They had a long break. They come out. They were up by double digits in the second, and then pretty much after that, the Cavs came back and, and kept it a close game throughout. And now the Rockets uh, play the Grizzlies next, and then the Pacers and the Raptors. So a pretty tough stretch coming up for the Rockets, who are 9-3 and three now. Considering the fact that they've only played one game with Paul, I think you'd have to be say that's a great start. Harden is playing at an MVP level, as probably expected. Um, but there is concern. I mean, there are concerns for this team. They're better defensively this year. I mean, before, coming into tonight's game, they actually had a, um, a top-10 defense. Uh, in terms of defensive rating, it's going to probably slip after this game. But and obviously they had that you know top five offense, which is what we expected. But they're playing their key guys are playing a lot of minutes because of Chris Paul's absence. That's puts pre- put more pressure on Harden and Gordon. One of them has to be on the floor at all times. Gordon has a higher usage percentage because he has to create for others. They're going to play. They've been playing guys like Bobby Brown, uh, Demetrius Jackson, which is what you don't want to do. Um, and Paul's 
when Paul comes back, and I wrote an article about this on Hoops Habit today, Paul's uh, return will do two things for the Rockets. It'll, one, um, bolster their second unit offense, which has been terrible without Harden on the floor. I mean, it, the the offense without Harden has just been abysmal. Paul will definitely solve that. And two, it allowed people to play less minutes and with less of an offensive burden because you don't want to be playing guys 40 minutes a game in early November. I mean, it's just not going to be good for the come playoff time. So I think that there are concerns with the Rockets moving forward, but overall a 9-3 and record, considering the fact they played one game with Chris Paul, I think is a, is a tremendous success. Oh, no, most definitely. And at this point, you uh, Hard never left that conversation, but it, he's definitely in this one as far as the MVP is concerned, MVP race. He's just been playing, as you said, a remarkable level. And especially with the injury to Chris Paul, who, which was a big piece of this team going into the season. We were thinking, okay, you know, you have two elite playmakers at all times. The offense will never take a break. You know, the usage rate, uh, Harden will be able to take take a little time off of, on the offensive end and not have to create everything for this Rockets team. And yet here he is basically replicating last year's performance and, and doing it, you know, at, at a great level. Mind you, like you said, the strength of the schedule has been spotty. But he's been playing very well, and the team has been performing very well. So it's going to be interesting to see how it is when Chris Paul comes back, especially since we're not – he didn't seem – I mean, it's only one game. I'm not, I refuse to take um, much stock in that one game, but he did seem sort of out of sorts in the fact that, hey, I could just run up the court and shoot the ball. Like, I don't really have to pound the rock and set something up, you know? And mind you, he was hobbled in that game. There was a lot of outliers you could pull from that. But I still want to see how he fits – if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, moving, you know. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that people, and I included, expected, oh, the Rockets will get off to five and five, maybe five and six start because they're going to integrate Paul. They had seven of their first 10 games were on the road. But with this Paul injury, it's basically been last year's Rockets, led by Harden at point guard with shooters. And the only difference is that. They have more defenders now because they have Tucker and Maba Mute instead of guys um, like Sam Decker, Lou Williams, or whatever. Um, so it basically was like last year's Rockets, except with better defenders on the floor. I think the interesting thing is that now Mike D'Antoni said that Chris Paul could be back as soon as next week. And I think that the Rockets will probably, you know, this this 9-3 and three start is good. I think it'll be actually the rest of November and some of December where they actually struggle, like go 500 for a two to three week stretch, because that's when they'll really be trying to integrate Chris Paul in the regular season. Obviously they had a couple of preseasons game, preseason games together and the first game against Golden State, but Paul sat down the final five or six minutes of that game. So I think that'll actually be kind of the reverse. They'll get off to a hot start because Paul was out and it was basically, it's basically last year's Rockets with better defenders on the, on the roster. And then, They'll now get into this phase when Paul comes back where now they'll probably get to that 500 level of play because they're going to have struggles integrating Paul and Harden. I'm not going to – I mean, also, they could also just be great when they both come back. Um, but I think it's likely that they, they drop a couple games that they would probably win without Paul because of the integration of getting them both acclimated together. That that actually sounds perfectly reasonable, and that seems like that's something that would happen. Especially since it does take a minute to – they did play well in the preseason, but it does take a minute to integrate a, a, a major talented piece like that in the flow of the regular season. You know, he hasn't had a chance in these last 10 games to really build off anything he had in the preseason, which is that one game. So that that's going to be interesting. And the fact that he's come back sooner than later is also a good sign for this Rockets team. Maybe we can get Harden some more minutes of rest so that he can kind of come down a little bit from this heavy burden he's been carrying. And then going into the season, just kind of keep a consistent level of play. 
Yeah, and getting Harden off the ball will be good for him too. And yep. also, one of the biggest things is just to watch how Paul looks because he is 32, and a knee injury for a 32-year-old is something you never want, especially from your point guard that's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, they're being really cautious. I think this was an injury that had it been the playoffs, Paul would be playing. But it's going to be interesting to see. Like, does he? He might be rusty. Does he play a little bit slower? And you know, the Rockets want to push the pace, but Paul's notorious for being a slow player because he wants to be methodical and pick apart the defense so they're just I think the Rockets you know they've gone off to this hot start I think they're going to be they're, they're about to become one of the more interesting th- teams in the league as Paul returns to the lineup and and kind of meshes with Harden but I mean I think it's enough for talking sure, about I do have one... one more question okay yeah go ahead oh oh yeah no no I was gonna say and also do we think or um, you know a lot more about it than I do when he comes back is is Paul going to be all the way back like no, no reservations. Good to go. You know what I mean? Is that is that? I'm not. I wasn't really certain as to the whole injury, um, how long it had been, and whether it was something he had just had carrying over. But will it be completely finished by the time he comes back? You know? Yeah. Well, the the thing that's often un it's, it's misreported is that he actually had he actually suffered the injury in a, in a preseason game. It was it was like the Rockets' third. Oh. It was like the Rockets' third or fourth preseason game. It was against the Grizzlies. He hit. He bumped knees, I think, with Mario Chalmers, and he had the soreness, and he sat out the next preseason game, and he played the first night in Golden State, and somewhere in the third quarter, he kind of just landed on it weird, I guess, or just felt the discomfort yeah. again, and and then I guess they did more tests, and they said, you know what, you could probably play on this, but you'll be in pain, and you won't be at 100%, we want you 100% when you're back, so sit out as much as it takes, and I guess it's taken a month. I think on tonight's <laughs> I think on tonight's game they said something about he has been doing basketball activities for the past couple of days without pain at all, which is a good sign. Um, so I think it's like one of those weird injuries where he could play, but they want to be super cautious, and you never want to rush him back at 32 with a knee injury. So it's a really, really weird injury and, and pain for him, but it, it will, as I mentioned, and as you kind of questioned yourself, like, It'll be interesting to see how he plays when he comes back. Is he is he ready to go? Is he rusty? Is he hesitant? Um, just so many fascinating things about Chris Paul's return. Besides the the other side of how he affects the other guys, I mean, you would probably expect Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon to shoot better and and play more comfortably. Guys like Nene and Clint Capella will probably play more comfortably with more with another point guard on the floor. So you know, at all times they'll have either Harden or, or Paul. So they're going to be getting great looks. So I mean, I think the Rockets will probably be 500 for a stretch when they first get Paul back, but then I think they could also just take off and just, I mean, obliterate teams once both once Paul and Harden are fully meshed and when the team is really locked and loaded and ready to go. So, I mean, okay, cool, cool. fascinating things. But uh, since the uh, this is our first episode since Monday, and it's kind of annoying because we had a trade on Tuesday that was uh, Eric Bledsoe finally being traded from the hair salon uh, Phoenix Suns. Um, to the Milwaukee Bucks, and the trade's interesting. It's it's Bledsoe to the Bucks, and the Bucks are sending the Suns Greg Monroe and uh, a heavily protect a heavily and unique protected first round pick and a protected second round pick too. So, I think if it's if I remember correctly, this is off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me, which I should have. But um, the first round pick is protected eleven through sixteen. So if it's so the the Suns would get it if it's 11 through 16 this year. We all expect the Bucks to be better than the 16th pick this season, so they're probably not going to get it. And then next year, it's protected again in a similar range. And then the year after that, it's unprotected. So the Suns might not get this pick until 2020. Uh, and then the second round pick is protected too, and second round picks 
rarely turn into things. So uh, what were your uh, initial thoughts of this Bledsoe trade, I guess, for both sides? I honestly thought, I mean, the Suns had already tanked Bledsoe's value for so for so much and so long that I, I still was surprised that they didn't get anything more than that. But then again, I wasn't because, I mean, come on, you, you take him out of the facilities. It was kind of funny to me that the day that he was going to come back to work out at the training facility, not with the team, but just independently, is the day that they finally send him away. But I, I'm I, obviously Eric Bledsoe's a winner. And he requested the trade. He's going to a team that has coached by – well, I mean, if you want to put this as, as a positive, he is, he is coached by an all-time point guard. And you do have a top five town in the NBA on his team in Giannis. So that that's great. And at this point, having another elite – having a, a above average in this – in my case, I think a very good playmaker in Eric Bledsoe puts the Bucks right up there over the middling – playoff team that that i saw them as like you know fifth six up there into the top three in my opinion so that's nice um Giannis will benefit from it because you have another shot creator on the floor that relieves some pressure from him um he's already been drawing some special attention from different defenses now so that should be helpful i could definitely see some different lineups with him and and brogdon and some of the other smalls they have on their team bledsoe isn't exactly a knockdown shooter but he's a very good ball handling threat um he's pretty much better than any of the buck besides Giannis. So I think that helps them. And, you know, it gives Jason get a chance to, to take another talent on his team and see what he can do. I'm, I'm really, really dubious of what that may be, but I mean, it's there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm looking at it as positives for Eric Bledsoe and, and, and going in. But as far as Phoenix, I'll let you go into that more. I'm kind of concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the return was low, but I think, I think a lot of people expected it to be low because of what they did to his trade value. Um, you know, I had been, as you know, on the show, I've been very critical of Jason Kidd as a coach. And I, I've mentioned very often that I think he is Lamarck Jackson to the Bucks that Jackson was to the Warriors, as in the next coach will be the, the one that unlocks the Bucks, has him playing more free-flowing, running in transition, etc., taking more advantage of Giannis's talent and skills. And that next coach will probably be the one that unlocks the Bucks. Um the thing about the Bucks, they're, they're they're currently seventh offensively, but but they're 29th defensively. And Bledsoe has the reputation of a good defender. He is a good defender when he's trying. Um, you know, he's, I think he's 28 now, so he still should be in his prime. And he's been he was healthy last year, and he can be a good defender when he buys in. And and the Bucks have a really interesting defensive system where they pressure guys and they try and use all their all their length that they have with so many other guys, Giannis, Don Maker. Middleton, I mean, so many guys. It's Tony Snell. Um, so it's an interesting defensive kind of system. I think that Bledsoe provide Bledsoe, the thing, the fact that they didn't have to give up a guy like Malcolm Brogdon or, or someone else, a valuable piece, and they had to give up Monroe. And, and Monroe's a valuable player, right? He provides offense, instant offense off the bench, which they will miss because their center rotation is, is nothing to write home about. You know, Thon Makur is, is really, it's Maker, but everyone, you know, the, the correct pronunciation apparently is Makur, but that's not going to stick on, so I'm going to say Maker. Um, and uh, John Henson are really their, their guys at center. And I think that they should go through two more untraditional lineups. I want to see Giannis at center. I want to see Giannis at center, surround him with shooters and, and lengthy defenders like Snell, Middleton, Brogdon, and Bledsoe. I think that would be a fascinating lineup. I think Brogdon can play shooting guard. 
fine. Middleton, I think, can serve as a small ball power forward. He can put Tony Snell, small forward. Um, I think that'd be a fun lineup that could be good defensively, have enough shooting offensively, um, have enough length. I, I want to see more of that from Kidd. I want to see... I mean, I, I just am frustrated with Kidd as a coach. I have doubts about this. But the other aspect is that this trade puts more pressure on Jason Kidd because, as you mentioned, you believe that this pushes them up into a top three you know, team in the East. And I think it pushes them up into home court advantage range, top four in the East. But what are the, the what is management's expectations? I mean, do they expect to make the second round of the playoffs? I'm sure they expect to get home court advantage in the first round, which, is, which isn't that hard in the Eastern Conference, but it's still, you know, they're not playing great right now, so we'll have to see. Um, no. So, you know, if 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 what a management's management's expectations had to have changed because this is a kind of a win now move when you acquire Bledsoe in his prime. Um, Bledsoe's not like a twenty four year old who's you're going to bank on growing with Brogdon and Snell and and Jabari Parker. You're expecting a win now move, especially when you get Parker back sometime maybe like in February. Do they expect a second round? You know, a second round appearance in the playoffs. What happens if they fall short? I, I think this puts more pressure on Jason Kidd, um, and I think it'd be good for them if he was not brought back. But uh, that's—I mean—we have to see how they do the rest of the season. So, I mean, that's a lot of. The... And oh. Go ahead, yeah. Oh, my fault. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry, man. I was uh, <laughs> actually thinking about when you said Jabari Parker. It, it that was another concern I had. One, you know, he hasn't hit the court, obviously, but. The, his his unique offensive gifts on that end, I think, are going to be somewhat dimmed down because of Bledsoe being there. I don't know if it, him coming in towards not the middle of the season, but in 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 the thick of the season, and having to kind of blow his talent along with yet another guard who who can handle the ball and 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 he plays off ball very well or, or not very well, but pretty, pretty proficiently. But he also prefers to have the ball in his hands. So him, Giannis. You know, you have a, a couple of other low usage players, but Jabari obviously needs his touches. I wonder how that is going to work. But also, um, Bledsoe's contract, just the amount yeah. that he has, makes retaining Parker kind of hard. Not hard. It, it is expensive, hard to, to, expensive. to do. Yeah, because especially with what Parker's going to want to demand. It was already going to be a disappointment for him, given his ACL injury this uh, this past year to get the money that he was going to be looking for. But now, with that extra money on the books, it's going to be even much more difficult for that. And so, I'm wondering, will, will Milwaukee flip him? Will will they keep him and just see how he is in restricted free agent? You know, not many teams are going to have the cash space to max him out, so that's going to be interesting. How will that all work? Because that's another dilemma, you know, with this Milwaukee team. Yeah, and I have two things about Parker. One, I think... I think it'd be kind of nice having him off the bench as like an instant offense kind of guy like the Monroe. Obviously, they're different players, but at this point, I think you can create a lineup with Barker coming off the bench, especially when he's you know coming back from the injury. Um, and two, I have been a proponent. I think they should should and and should have in the past kind of explored trading him because there is probably a team and multiple teams that will probably bank on his potential. But at the same fact, especially when you acquire Bledsoe, I mean, he will it will be very expensive to retain Parker next season. And do they want to? you know, break the bank for Jabari Parker to come back? Like, does Parker coming back, do we, they never know if he can, you know, be fully healthy for more than, you know, 60, 70 games of a year before, you know, he has a significant injury. Two ACL injuries is, is huge. It's really hard to come back from. Um, so I think that trying to expl- uh, explore his trade value wouldn't hurt. I mean, there's probably a team that's kind of, um, kind of in, stuck in mediocrity that say, hey, we can we can get Jabari Parker, we can kind of market him as this young star, and we'll just bank on him becoming healthy and, be, and becoming a 20 points per game score, which is what he was before he got hurt last year. So 
I think that there Park this makes Parker's situation extremely extremely interesting and I briefly want to touch about the Suns because th- this trade that they made getting Monroe whose contract expires and uh, after the season will be a free agent and they actually are thinking about they're already exploring possibly trading Monroe if not they'll probably kind of buy him out which would lead to a really good player on the buyout market especially for a team like the Celtics um, but that's a conversation for a whole nother day but this this trade um they it looks like they're kind of like prioritizing cap space because they unloaded Bledsoe contract and Bledsoe would make I think 15 million next year Monroe's is expiring this year, so they're going to have... I was listening to Dunked On, um, their trade reaction podcast today, and uh, I think Nate said that the, the Suns would have about $14.5 million in cap space, but what's the point of that? I mean, they're going to have a, another top first-round pick they're going to have to pay. No one is coming to Phoenix as a free agency destination, so, you know... <laughs> I mean, as Nate suggested, and I think most of us would agree, it would have been better if the if the Suns took on like a long-term... Like, if the Suns took on Henson... Henson's contract, which has, I think, another two to three years, they probably could have gotten another asset out of the Bucks or any other team for that matter. But the fact that they weren't trying to get more long-term money probably limited them to getting the assets that they got, and which is why the first-round pick was so protected, and they just got Monroe, who they're not really going to use. So I think it would have been smarter for the Suns to say, hey, we're not going to use this cap space anyway. No one's coming here anyways. We should just take on a bad contract for the next two to three years and get an additional asset. Who knows? Maybe they could have, I mean, I doubt it, but maybe they could have snuck out Malcolm Brogdon if they just took on John Henson's salary. I mean, it's very difficult to talk about trade hypotheticals. We don't know what was being offered, but I think that's kind of my view on the Suns' perspective. I agree. Uh, I I struggle to call the Suns' front office any word approaching smart. Just how they've treated their players the last three years, the way they've just tanked on players' trade value, certain moves. I mean, it's it's hard to say that, but I definitely do think that would have been something that they could have thought about. I mean, even on, on another team where they probably could have gotten more of an asset. I mean, I would have liked them to think about and This wouldn't have been helpful for either of the teams, so I'm glad that it didn't happen. But looking at Cleveland, just because I wanted Cleveland to make a move, um, they'd probably just get Kevin Love and some late pick, and then... The Cavs would get Eric Bledsoe, who would be really – it'd be a really tough fit with him and Wade and Isaiah when Isaiah comes back. But for the short term, I thought it would be like a little boon that could knock Derrick Rose back into, you know, the second unit. And I didn't think that it would be that big a deal, even with the injury to Tristan Thompson. But as I think about it and even having shared that with you, I, I feel silly saying so. <laughs> I mean, the other team that was heavily rumored to be interested in Bledsoe were the Nuggets, but – I guess with the Suns not wanting to take on any salary, they wouldn't take Kenneth Fareed in order to get a guy like Emmanuel Moutier in a, in, in a first-round pick or something like that. Which like, is so dumb. I mean... And I, that's so dumb. Emmanuel Moutier would have been the perfect backcourt guy for for Devin Booker. Yeah, and obviously he's still... I mean, Moutier's had a tough couple of seasons, but he is still, I think, 21 or 22 at, at best. So, I mean, he's actually kind of a young asset and who could still develop. The fact that... And, you know, they would have had to take on Kenneth Fareed to get a guy like Moody and maybe like a, a future first or a couple of second round picks. But that is a better return for me than, than getting Monroe's salary, which you're going to either buy him out or trade him. And a, a protect a, such a protected first round pick, you might not get it until 2020. And who knows where the Bucks will be in 2020? I mean, we expect that the Bucks will be better in 2020 because all their guys will be in their prime. But I, I, it's just... It's really fascinating to analyze trades, which is why I love trades so much because you, you have two different teams thinking very differently and you, you try and justify their reasoning while also criticizing the other team's reasoning. So I, I just always love trades, but uh, 
you have any more final thoughts on this trade? I'm seeing how the Bucks will play. I mean, obviously, once Eric Bledsoe gets in there, I think he just observed his first practice, so that'll be cool to see. Um, Phoenix, again, just, just kind of confused. I'm wondering what, I mean, obviously, Greg Monroe is still out, but how they're going to even solve that. People are saying, oh, they'll just trade Monroe, but the contract that he has to get $17 million, I if they're not trying to take long-term salary back, which is obvious that they're not, I'm kind of concerned as to how Phoenix plans to go about that. And if they aren't planning on moving him, it's going to be interesting to see a front court with Monroe, Len, and Tyson Chandler all wanting minutes. So, I don't know. I I think it was a pretty good trade. Like you said, I love analyzing it. So, moving forward, it'll be nice to revisit it. We probably will one of our Sunday podcasts or, or Monday podcasts and just see where they are, you know, after, I don't know, two weeks or so. But, um, yeah, all of them, uh, just kind of looking forward to seeing what happens again. It's kind of one of those, eh, for me. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks play the Spurs tomorrow night on ESPN. That kind of becomes like a must-see game if you want to see how Bledsoe makes his Milwaukee oh, yeah. debut. And the Spurs always, you know, Spurs-Bucks are a pretty good matchup overall. So that'll do it for our kind of quick, unplanned, unedited 30-minute combos on Thursday nights. Um, again, we will be back Sunday night slash Monday morning at midnight Eastern time with our traditional kind of hour-long segmented episode. This is just more free-flowing, just for Corbin and I just have a fun basketball chat. Uh, remember to check out the link in the description for our, our store on Public to get some really cool NBA merchandise and support the 94 Feet Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Uh, you can follow our website, 94feetreport.com. Um, you can check out that uh you can check out the website there, and you can follow it on web on Twitter at the ninety four feet report. Corbin, you can throw out where they can follow you and find your work. Um, ninety four feet report. Um, I still edit it for Real Ball Insider, so probably it's been hard just with work and school to try to get some more writing. But trying to get started on that, we'll see how that works. But definitely follow those two sites. Uh, follow Corbin for the NBA. You know, I pretty much retweet some stuff, say something funny. I think once or twice. So give it a look, see if you think. But, yeah. All right. It. You guys, we'll be back uh, on Monday with our, our kind of traditional episode and have a great weekend of watching NBA basketball. Take care.